This is Self Care U with Scott, and today we sit down with Coach John from Freedom Nutrition Coaching. We've all heard that saying, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. This is exactly how Coach John operates. In his 40 years on earth, John has traveled the world, visiting almost 45 different countries and living as a nomad. He lost his life savings in a business relationship gone sour, subject to a traumatic experience where he was almost murdered, and on top of all that became a binge-eating food addict, reaching 328 pounds. Today we have an awesome conversation about overcoming life's obstacles, making a change for the good, and impacting other people positively. This is Self Care You, and we're about to level up with Coach John from Freedom Nutrition Coaching. What's good, everyone? Hope all is well. It's Scott from Self Care You, and I firstly wanted to take this opportunity to thank our listeners. The Self Care You podcast is doing great, and it wouldn't be doing this well if it wasn't for our listenership. So thank you. We want to take this opportunity to shout out a few people. Uh, shout out to Vicky from Montreal who reached out to us to let us know just how much she loves the show. A shout out to my guy Dan Ram who's over there in Zurich hosting a bunch of events and. This guy has so much knowledge and he's helped me along the way. Just mentor me a bit. If you want to check him out, it's at I am Dan Ram. You know, you'll get some amazing things on Instagram for sure. And thirdly, a big shout out to our guest today, Coach John from Red Deer, who is our guest on the podcast. We have an awesome conversation about treating your body right with Freedom Nutrition Coaching. It's going to be an amazing conversation. Let's get into it. Today, we have the opportunity to sit down with Coach John from Freedom Nutrition Coaching. John, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. You know, we're excited to have you on the podcast, and I hope, John, maybe you could provide our listeners with a little bit of a business card of what Coach John does, but what Freedom Nutrition Coaching is. Yeah, well, in, in a nutshell, I really focus on what's called brain-driven weight loss. Uh, so I believe that in the age of Google, we don't suffer from an information problem. We suffer from an implementation problem. That is, how do we bridge the gap between what we know and what we do? And the brain is ultimately the driver of our behaviors. And so, it, you know, yes, the hand, the hand goes to the mouth and what goes into your mouth matters, but the brain drives the hand and the brain drives the eyes that make the choice. And so if we can tackle things at the root cause, um, we can really not just help people lose weight, but actually genuinely create transformed lives. This is a good opportunity for our listeners to hear from another perspective. We always on our show have a good friend of the podcast. His name is David Galloway. He has similar interests in you do. He's a very, he's a mindset coach and he really helps you, you know, rewire your subconscious and really gets you thinking in the right direction. So I think this is going to be an awesome conversation. Coach, I'm really interested in the backstory. You told me that you know, there was a tipping point for you, right? You reached 328 pounds and I'm interested to hear about that. Yeah, man. So uh, I used to be an athlete as well. So volleyball and basketball were my, my sports. Um, I also lived on my rollerblades. Um, absolutely loved that. But when we were traveling, my wife and I took off on like a globetrotting world tour, um, ended up going for, for three years. That wasn't really a plan. We just hopped on a plane to Mexico and said, uh, let's see how, the, how this works out. Um, on the way, we ended up in, in South Africa working for 
an NGO or um, not-for-profit organization helping underprivileged youth. Um, but when I was down there, uh, I, I was attacked. Um, I was nearly beaten to death. And so to go through a traumatic experience like that, and actually we just passed the 10-year anniversary of it um, a couple days ago, um, I really wasn't emotionally equipped to deal with the fallout from that. And so my way of coping was to turn to food. And after going through trauma, it's, it's surprising how fast uh, weight gain can happen. And, uh, you know, a few months down the road, all of a sudden, I'm like 328 pounds and just not even recognizing myself like it was, it was pretty shocking. So it's quite a quite a long road back from all of that. Um, and maybe even part of it is connected in, in like, I was still stuck in this, you know, this former athlete identity. And so to see what I was seeing in the mirror, probably the first stage of it was really actually being denial that this was my this was my reality. Um, but when we try and get, you know, Go, go down the road of weight loss for me. I never struggled with my weight before. I didn't even know where to start. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, so, so Google throws a bunch of things your way and, you know, maybe I'll try this or I'll try this method or that method and so on. Ultimately what it boiled down to is I was trying all these different things. I've tried a number of different diets, got into a number of different supplements. I was even involved in the supplement industry um, for, for a few years there. And ultimately what I found is all these things were ways of avoiding what really needed to be dealt with. And it wasn't until 2017 when I connected with a coach who I worked with for 12 months and he genuinely changed my life. Um, I thought I was connecting with him because I wanted to look like him. Uh, in my mind, getting a physique like his was somehow going to be where happiness was. And the truth of the matter is he treated me with a degree of compassion like I'd never felt before. And I say, ultimately he created the space for me to wrestle with my demons in the light and he didn't judge me for them. But it did hold me to account, and and that balance is what really allowed me to work through the, the major hurdles that I've been stuck with for six, seven years and struggling. Well, and you know from being an athlete that accountability is the big thing, right? So the goal is oh, always it's... goal is always to make sure that you know you're you're practicing, you're getting hitting that next shot, whatever it is. And then when you had this kind of revelation where you realize that your weight is out of control, you know you need accountability. You need somebody to tell you, listen, we got to get moving here, right? Well, there's something about the human connection. Like you could get an app, you could go to some macro accounting website or things like that, but ultimately you can say no to an app very easily. It's a little more difficult to say no when there's another human being involved. And so, you know, accountability wasn't about him waving a big stick at me or anything like that, but it was him actually believing in me and believing what I was capable of, even when I struggled to see it myself. You know, when you go through something traumatic like this and, and just a huge shift in identity, um, sometimes we lose a part of ourselves. And so for me, I I was so far gone at one point, like I really struggled to believe that it was possible for me to bounce back from this and, and get back to being the person I once was or even a better version of that. And so that all stemmed or the realization all stemmed from this traumatic experience you had? Yeah, um, ultimately... You know, it's funny, you go through something like that and you say like your life flashes before your eyes. And in a sense it does. And really what that is, is your brain um, maybe processing a little bit um, in slow time what's actually happening to you. And, and my brain was kind of denial and so on, but it really actually highlighted for me like the things that were important. But the, the fallout from trauma, I think I didn't understand it. And most people still to this day probably wouldn't understand it. Um, it involves grappling with a lot of powerful emotions that I, I didn't know what to do with. Um, they would come up out of nowhere and so on it involves reliving the story and trying to rewrite the story and so on. 
Um, and so it, it's it's quite a process to try and, and move past that. Um, fortunately, I was able to, to uh, work with some qualified professionals that, that really made a massive difference, but I was still stuck in this struggling with, with my weight because Ultimate kind of developed uh, essentially a food addiction and binge eating was my way of coping with, with stress. And so when, when the coach I worked with, when he identified, look, this isn't a problem of you not knowing you know, what to do. This is a problem of a different part of your brain driving your behavior. You know, um, we have the, the logical part of our brain. That's the front part of the prefrontal cortex. That's the one that you know, weighs out the consequences, the choices we make. But we have the primal impulsive part of our brain that just drives our behavior without conscious thought. Um, and it's, it's powerfully affected by the emotions that we feel. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I, I really want to try and understand the traumatic experience. You said you're in a different country, so foreign to where you're, you're used to and, and you were attacked. Now, you know, I heard you say that you were almost murdered uh, at one point, but getting attacked is seems like that's enough traumatic experience just in itself. But you get to another level. What we like to say is the level up. So going through that experience, maybe you could let us know you know, what that's like, because there's people listening to this that have no idea what that's like to go through that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the first part is, like I said, it, it is shock. Like, why is this happening to me? Um, there's denial. Um, you know, then then comes the rage and the anger. So I have a strong sense of justice and fairness. So four people jumping me at night um, because of my skin color and for no other reason. Uh, that was for me, that felt very, very unjust. Um, the other part of it was I definitely wanted to somehow get vengeance or revenge. That's, that's the feelings that I had, but the truth is that's not who I am as a person. I'm not a vengeful, angry person. And so then I was caught in this, again, this like identity conflict where I had these feelings, these desires for like vengeance and these like powerful, like rage, um, would come up in me. But part of my brain goes, this isn't who you are. This is not right. who you are as a person. And so then, then feeling the guilt and the conflict. And then people around not really understanding what it's like to go through the experience. And they would say things like, oh, that's nothing. You should hear what happened to, you know, my brother or my cousin or something. And it's like, that doesn't help because trauma is not a trauma isn't isn't a, a contest here to be like, well, something worse. happened. Like that doesn't help somebody who's gone through it. And so ultimately what I would say, if, if somebody is trying to understand another person's traumatic experience, you don't have to fix them. You don't have to solve it. Um, maybe just be present with them when they're going through a difficult time. You know, John, what really attracted me to your story. And I felt that the self-care you listeners would really like is that you have many experiences in your short time on this, on this world, you've gone through many different things. And one of them also, if I can shift the conversation was, this sour yeah. business venture you had where you put your whole life savings into something and, and now you're hit with another traumatic experience where now it's gone. Tell us a little bit about that, kind of what you went through. <clears throat> yeah. So I went into business with uh, an individual that I, I thought was a friend of mine. We'd had a, a friendship for a couple of years and I thought I knew who this individual was. Um, we talked it out carefully and so on. Um, and this was a bricks and mortar supplement store. Um, and I'm a very naturally like a very trusting person. 
I see I see the world through quite a positive lens. I believe in people. I, I see the best in people. Um, I didn't I didn't understand who I was really getting into business with, and it was it was so as I was you know I was sold a certain promise, a certain uh, you know outcome. This is what we're working towards. This is what we're building, and so on. Um, but a couple of years into it, as as things started to crumble, I started to realize like you know a lot of this was was really a lie. It was a fabrication. A lot of the things that I was told, a lot of promises that were made um, were, were completely fabricated because the individual that I was in business with is actually a pathological liar. Even that is really hard to comprehend. So somebody who I thought was a friend of mine, like their entire life was a lie. So um, when I say a pathological liar, I don't even say it in malice. I say this is how their brain actually functions. Um, if even though this wouldn't be a clinical diagnosis, I suspect this individual um, has narcissistic personality disorder as well as, as sociopathy. Um, so, so you pair those two things together, you get somebody who lives in an entirely different world than, than, than I did, who, see, who, who can lie without conscience, all in the name of maintaining a certain appearance. So because of that, um, it was actually when a bailiff showed up and said, hey, uh, the rent hasn't been paid, the landlords want their money, hadn't been paid for like four months, and I was like, where's, where's the money been going? I don't know. Um, so there's a lot of crooked accounting. So it felt like this huge betrayal. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to, let's say, like to be attacked by people who don't know you. It's another thing to feel betrayed by someone who you trusted so deeply, who I trusted so deeply, who I thought of as a friend and uh, even as, as a close friend to try to come to terms with the fact that this individual was not even who I thought they were. Um, other elements of their life started crumbling as well. I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit non-specific, of course, to protect identities, um, but other elements of his life started crumbling as well. And um, again, we don't go into friendships and, and relationships thinking, oh, I'm probably getting into a relationship with a narcissist or a sociopath. Right. Yeah. So we, we see the world through a certain lens, through, through a certain lens. And so... Um, ultimately that experience, um, I'm actually grateful for it. Uh, it's, it's extremely hard to go home to my wife. It was, you know, go home to my wife and be like, Hey, um, I got nothing like, but a mountain of debt. It was all a lie. It was a fraud. It was a deception. There was, you know, try, to try and explain that. But I will say this, there's something liberating about losing everything. Yeah. You now yeah. have no, you no longer have nothing. Like you no longer have anything to lose. And so you just, uh, it's like I could finally do the thing that I talked about doing, um, but I'd been kind of too scared or maybe trapped to do it. Um, but now I had to just build it from like the ground up or from the ashes of nothing, basically. So you mentioned earlier with the traumatic experience of uh, beating or being jumped by four guys. And now you have this situation where you've lost your, your life savings. Did you feel the same sort of like rage, same emotions, like you had to get even with this individual or? This was a little bit different, actually, because one thing is in order to be set free from an experience like so that I didn't feel the rage and I didn't feel the desire for vengeance because ultimately I wanted to be at peace. Right. Is I had to forgive the individuals who perpetrated that against me. That doesn't that doesn't absolve them from what they did. Ultimately, they have to answer for their own actions. I, I never saw them again, um, but I made the decision to forgive them. And the question, well, how do you forgive? someone who would want to kill you and probably would try to kill me again if they saw me. And it boils down to taking a step back from myself and my ego and not making this about me and saying what happened in their life 
that led them to this place where they thought not only was it an appropriate, but even a desirable course of action to attack somebody else. So I was a representation of something they thought had historically oppressed them. They didn't know I was from Canada. They didn't know I was working with underprivileged youth. All they saw was one thing about me, and it represented something that they had been taught to hate. So when I kind of understood that, because uh, I don't think people are born to hate. I don't think people are born racist. So when I started to understand that, again, it doesn't absolve them of their behavior, but it helped me to have compassion for these human beings and what, what had led them to that place. Why I share that is because when this happened to me with this betrayal from like someone who was a close friend, I kind of knew what it, what it meant to forgive. And so I was actually able to forgive this individual. Um, we, we aren't on speaking terms, but I don't hold any animosity. I've forgiven him and, and we've moved past it because ultimately I wanted to be free. I didn't want to carry this burden with me. Yeah. And that's very much what self-care you is about, right? We use the slogan level up. So we like to tell everybody that you may have a traumatic experience. You may have something that you went through. You may, you know, have a, a food addiction. You might have some sort of trauma, but as soon as you're able to you know, work through that trauma, you're able to come to peace with it, you've come to a different level, there's no going backwards. That's how we operate. And you can then next time encountered with a situation, you're a little bit able to deal with it a little bit better. Yeah, and here's what I would say, I have never met a remarkable person who had an easy life. So when we go through challenging experiences in life, they force us to uncover parts of us that we didn't know even existed, but they will help us to identify strength that we didn't know we had, a resilience that we didn't know existed. And maybe there's a tendency to, for, for people to wish for an easy life, but if you wish for an easy life, you're not going to have a great life. That's true, for sure. So let's shift the conversation a little bit, because I think one of the the awesome, interesting things that you have is being in 45 different countries, living as a nomad for a little bit. And, you know, I've been in two countries, so I'm really aspired to do, you know, to do what you've done or be where you've been. Why don't you tell us a little bit about traveling those 45 countries and, and what got you to move? Well, um, I, I'd been in the Navy for six years and I was getting tired of the politics of the military. Anyone who served in, in the military can kind of understand what I'm talking about. And I, I was at that time, I would have been 27. And I went home to, to my wife and I said, I'm, I'm tired of this. Here we are. We're 27. We're kind of watching our life tick by. And we should just we should do this thing that we've always talked about doing, but have been too scared to do. And so we packed everything into storage and we hopped on a plane to Puerto Vallarta in Mexico and then went inland to Guadalajara, where we started teaching English at a school down there. Now, Guadalajara is a city of 6 million people in Mexico. So we left thinking that maybe we're going to go for a couple of months and just sort of see, see what happens. We didn't know that this was going to turn into a multi-year, you know, globe-trotting kind of adventure. And, but it was because we kind of, once, once you get over the fear of, like, am I nuts? Am I crazy? Like, we looked at each other on the plane ride down to Puerto Vallarta. We got like, are we crazy? What are we doing? People are supposed to be like saving money and buying a house and settling to a job. And, you know, and we're, do, we're going against the grain. I do it again, a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, because there is no greater learning experience than putting yourself in incredibly, you know, challenging and uncomfortable situations. We didn't live in a tourist area in Mexico. People mostly here in Mexico and they think, I don't know, Cancun or something like that. 
no, we lived in we lived in 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 Centro Histórico, which is this old part of Guadalajara, not a tourist district, and almost nobody spoke English other than maybe our students, and so we had to learn to function in another language, in another culture. We had to um, kind of learn to to live differently. Now, here's here's the one thing I'll say: the, the Mexican people are very friendly and hospitable people, and they took our attempts at trying to you know learn Spanish, and they absolutely loved it. They you know, I would. Uh, you know, Mexico, I think sometimes gets a bad gets a bad rap because of what happens down with the cartel activity and whatnot. Um, but your average me Mexican um, citizen is like they're very friendly, they're very hospitable, they'd love to have a good time. So that was a, a really positive experience. We um, then we ultimately uh, decided we're gonna, we're going to go somewhere else because we've lived here for uh, almost six months, and so we hopped on a plane to to Europe and we started touring around there as well. Uh, we we got jobs in in Italy, um, which is a, a fantastic country. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting. Uh, so much history there, which is really cool. And the Italians, again, super friendly. Uh, Italian, if you've learned to speak French, Italian is actually surprisingly not that different than French. Um, people often think Italian and Spanish are similar, but it's not really true. Italian and French are very similar. And being from Canada and at least learning, you know, high school French yeah. and having <laughs> lived a period of time in Quebec, I was like, I could, I picked up Italian not too badly. And again, they'll try and, you know, come over and see my grandma and talk to my grandma because now you can speak Italian if you got like five words in you. So, uh, you know, really fantastic experience. But, you know, it was just like getting over this limiting belief. And, and we had, again, ideas in our head of what it would look like to travel. But ultimately, it's like, just get out there and, and get out there with an open mind and uh, just be willing to be outside your comfort zone um, and to experience something different. Uh, it was it was like the the most challenging time of my life you know i was together 24 7 with my wife lots of stressful situations it seems like you're living the dream when you're traveling all over the world and in one sense you are but you also have no sense of like permanency you know there's one stretch for like three months where we didn't spend more than six days in one spot like that gets exhausting wow. yeah but but you come back like, like we came back with just an incredibly uh, incredibly open mind about the world because we'd seen, you know, humans in so many different countries and so many different settings. And we realized that we're, we're a lot more the same than we are different. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we get clouded by this like Western perspective, right? This is, you know, Canada, US, this is the way it's got to be. It can't be like that anywhere else, or it can't be any different anywhere else. You know, on episode 14, we had a good friend of ours, Melissa Wood. She lived in Toronto. Uh, grew up, you know, we were friends yep. and she just out of an impulse took a job in the Yukon and just moved out to the Yukon. And in that episode, <laughs> she talks to us about, you know, the differences that she's going through, you know, the simplistic lifestyle that they live and, and really adapting and understanding that it took a little bit yeah. for her to get used to it. Right. Oh man, you go from like Toronto, which has more people in the entire territory of the Yukon, like many times over. Um, but the Yukon's this, this beautiful place. Um, uh, when I was in the Navy, I served on HMCS Whitehorse, among others. And uh, so that's our namesake city. So we would take what's called a namesake city visit and we'd go up there. And uh, you see like the big sky and then the northern lights and things like that. Like it's, it's, and it's just this vast expanse of wilderness. If you're used to like living in a city where you're constantly surrounded by like millions of people to go up there, it can almost feel, I don't know, what's the opposite of claustrophobic. You feel very vulnerable and open and exposed because it's like almost like you against the elements. Yeah. She did say that there's a lot of the, 
the residents that live up there that are from the Yukon are real jacked up when they got their first Walmart, right? Which is something that we just regularly have <laughs> down here, right? <laughs> just amazing to think yeah. like you're you're by all that beauty and and the one thing that you're really happy about is that you can go to a Walmart, right? Where we take that for advantage. Like I got 13 Walmarts inside like 30 minutes from me, right? So interesting to hear that perspective. Which is, I would say you know, COVID obviously has shifted things a little bit in terms of, of what's possible. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful that we took off and traveled when we did. But as things open up again, I mean, maybe, maybe take it as a sign. We've been shut down for like a year and a half. Um, maybe a lot of things we took for granted were kind of taken away from us. And uh, we kind of realized that, hey, you know what? You only get one kick at this. And for many people, it's going to feel like 18 months of their life kind of just got erased or got shut down. And uh, so take this opportunity, you know and um take take a leap of faith you know don't don't be foolish about it but it's it's not as scary as you think it is to go and do that thing you've always talked about doing because you only got one kick at this you just said it if you know you've been around 45 different countries and you really got to take advantage of it so if you had one last chance to get out to that hot spot that place that you really enjoy traveling what would that be man you know, it's like when people say, like, what's your favorite country? It'd be like trying to ask a parent, like, what, who's your favorite child when they have multiple kids, right? Um, but I have to score, well, my wife's from Australia, um, and Australia is probably number three on my list. <laughs> she might she might kick me for not putting it as number one because it's yeah. this gorgeous country. Uh, a bunch of, you know, tremendous beaches. Um, New Zealand probably would rank as number two. Um, New Zealand is kind of like British Columbia, the province of British Columbia, condensed into like two islands with a bit of volcanic activity. Um, really, really temperate climate. And of course, nowhere is more than 80 miles from the beach. Um, and just a really cool sort of hospitable people. Uh, but actually, number one would be Iceland. Uh, Iceland, it, it, sometimes it felt like almost like being on the moon because it felt Iceland is this volcanic island that split split in half by a rift valley. So two tectonic plates pulling apart, basically. And there's a valley that runs north south through the entire island. The whole island is formed of volcanic activity. They have geothermal activity everywhere. They got they got hot springs everywhere. Um, you know, it's it's uh, but there's only 300 a little over 300,000 people in the entire country. Um, they're 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 very hospitable again um they all have icelandic names like thorstein or <laughs> which is the name of a guy that took us in we stayed a couple nights at his house um they love the eurovision song contest i think there was a movie about it recently but uh we went to a eurovision party when we were over there um you have to try some of the icelandic delicacies that are going to shock your taste buds um but it's it's from a natural beauty perspective it is it is tremendous like these huge waterfalls mountains um volcanic activity it's it's just this incredible thing to see so if you like natural beauty iceland's very high up there um now if you like culture and history i'd say it's a toss-up between italy and turkey actually where my brother has lived in turkey for 12 years and we've been over there a number of times um it's also probably not on high on people's list but it's filled with incredible history and incredible culture well, you know what? Those five countries that you just mentioned actually are the ones that I always hear about. Um, Melissa Wood, who was on the podcast, talked about Australia and being her number one spot and being that place that she wants to go. And I've always wanted to go to Italy. I think it's just amazing. Maybe it's just because I love pizza and and the fact that like they just break in the middle of the day and just chill out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, they still do that. And it's it's kind of 
um, it's beautiful and it's sad at the same time that the thing that makes Italy so fantastic is the thing that makes it struggle to be competitive, say, like in the European Union economically. And not that this is really about economics and politics, but because they, they take a break from like one to four and they close everything down and go home and spend time, have lunch with their family, which is a beautiful thing. I'm like, that's mm -hmm. that's amazing. You know, it, it's we would do well to take a page out of their book and, and, you know, from a human standpoint. But economically speaking, it makes them struggle to be um, as competitive with, say, like uh, a hyperproductive country like Germany. So I'm just going to shift the conversation a little bit to freedom, nutrition, coaching. The work you do is powerful. I have the ability to kind of search all your information and kind of check out some of the testimonials. Why don't you kind of give us how your clients react to the work that you do? Truthfully, the word life-changing gets thrown around a lot. And that's absolutely the goal. You know, it, it sounds bold to say that, but why would we shoot for anything less than creating a life-changing transformation? And for each individual, it's going to look a little bit different. But what I would say is this. Um, if you want to, let's say, lose weight and keep it off for good, you can't go on a diet because a diet is a temporary change. You have to become a transformed person. And there's multiple elements to that. That involves transforming or, or engineering a new way of living, a new lifestyle, but also transforming your own identity and overcoming a lot of the limiting beliefs that are that are holding you back and keeping you stuck. And so um, there, there's, there's multiple components to it in one sense. But even though it might sound complicated for the individual going through the program, it's quite simple because it's laid out step by step. Um, what would I say? There's the curriculum component to it. So it's 180 days. So it's what's called Lifestyle 180. Um, there's a coaching component to it and there's a community component to it as well. So nobody ever feels alone in the journey. Why we do that is because if for human beings to actually create change, we, we, we cannot feel alone and vulnerable because that will ultimately put us into a protective state where we um, retreat back into old habits, old behaviors, old beliefs, because that's something familiar and secure. So we need to create a place where you feel supported, where you feel safe, where you feel connected to other human beings who aren't going to judge you as you go through this transformation. Um, and in that, we then feel safe to start taking steps for change. Because I would say every human being experiences this dynamic tension. Our nervous system, the primal part of us, is wired to seek out comfort and to avoid pain. But our soul, the essence of who we are as human beings, is wired for growth and development and change and betterment. And we feel this pull between the two. We're on one side, we wanna be comfortable and we look for instant gratification. On the other side, we really wanna grow and better ourselves as human beings. And how we manage that tension is what determines ultimately the outcomes we achieve. This is pretty amazing because I, when I speak on or speak to people in this kind of expertise in this field, just like you are, you know, the expert in nutrition and making sure that you have a lifestyle change. They always say it's about creating a positive group. It's about making sure you feel comfortable, but also accountability. And it sounds like you're on that track. Obviously Do you have one client that stands out that has come to you and said, coach John, like I would be in a way different place in my life if it wasn't for you. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on one of my favorite poster child clients. Um, her name is Rhonda. She came to me at 59 years old and she was skeptical. And I'm like, of course, she's from uh, down in, in Missouri in the U.S. And here's this, you know, she's 59 years old. Here's this, I don't know, at the time I was 37 year old guy from, from Canada. She doesn't know me from a bar of soap. She's completely remote, never met her in person. But her daughter had been like reading some of my content and said, you need to talk to this guy. So for more than 20 years, she'd been a yo-yo dieter, um, stress eating, anxiety eating, boredom eating, uh, a lot of challenges in her personal life. 
And in nine months, we lost 50 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Now, on top of that, she went from, you know, walking across the room, creaking and groaning and saying, I'm just getting so old and everything hurts to walking five miles a day and swimming 30 laps at her local pool. So her entire life, she says she feels 20 years younger. It's, it's, and she did this at 60 years old. So wow. if, if someone at 60 years old can lose 50 pounds and completely transform their life while facing a number of difficult personal and professional challenges, um, just about anybody can. That's pretty awesome. Well, shout out to Rhonda on doing such a good job, you know, taking care of yourself and making sure that you're living in a positive way. John, I really wanted to ask this question to you. We generally ask this question to all our guests. If you have a person that's struggling with their weight and they're on the fence, they're scared, they're anxious about what they need to do, you know, maybe you have the ability to give them a little bit of motivation. What would you say to them? I would say that compassionate awareness is the first step to change. So what I mean by that is um, so much of our behavior happens automatically that we and subconsciously we don't think about it. If you want to create change, you first have to be open to be becoming aware of, of your problematic behaviors. It is uncomfortable to see ourselves in that light, to see ourselves imperfectly and see our, our, our struggles. But if we can do that with compassion, recognizing we have done the best we can with the current tools we have, that's why we're here today, then we can now create change. So in a nutshell, awareness is the first step to change. Once you start down that path, um, it's, it's incredible. And so uh, anybody who feels like they're struggling, like I've lost over 100 pounds. Um, I've been there. I went from like a self-loathing, self-hating, binge-eating food addict who just thought I was the world's biggest failure um, to losing 100 pounds and really helping people transform their lives in, in ways that I didn't even think was, was possible. Um, and so it's, it's very much a possibility. It starts with awareness. And I would say the second piece is connecting to another compassionate human being, like a coach, a trainer, a therapist, something like that, who can help you wrestle with your demons in the light without judging you. Um, those two things will, will work wonders. It is powerful. Like I said earlier, it's freedom, nutrition, coaching. It's amazing. John, why don't you give all the information so that our listeners can get in touch with you if they need be? Absolutely. So you can find my website, freedomnutritioncoach.com. Um, but I also like to give your listeners a free resource that I think will be really, really powerful. So many people struggle with cravings, with um, feeling like they're out of control with their eating, nighttime snacking, stuff like that. Things that they know they shouldn't do, but really sort of sabotage their behaviors. And so you can go to nofndiets.rocks. So it's nofndiets.rocks because, you know, we, we don't, we, we throw diets out the window. nofndiets.rocks forward slash crush dash your dash cravings and i'll send you a copy of my my ebook crush your cravings and it's going to show you a powerful four-step um method for for putting cravings in the past how to sleep your way to relatively easy because weight loss is never um, perfectly easy uh but also a powerful eating rhythm that basically puts your your fat loss on autopilot so um and in there you'll you'll also see a couple of inspiring stories from uh some of my clients amazing transformations so i'd love to share that with your listeners yeah, if you're trying to get that information, don't worry about it. We're going to make sure that that gets into your hands. Coach John from Freedom Nutrition Coaching, we appreciate your time, man. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much for hosting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. 
I want to thank Coach John for coming on to the podcast today and really educating our listeners about nutrition and really how events can affect you when you're faced with adversity. You know, you need to overcome them. It will take time. All these types of things were really awesome in our conversation. You know, if you're thinking about reaching out to Coach John, I would say to you, do it right away. This guy is amazing. We had a quick conversation before we started recording and it got into basketball and And then after the podcast, we had a conversation for about another 25 minutes just catching up with an old friend that I just literally met. You know, he's an amazing guy. He's very comforting. He'll make you feel comfortable if you're trying to work through some things for sure. So catch him on Instagram. It's at Freedom Nutrition Coaching. That's Coach John. He's amazing. We'll have everything in the description so you can reach out to him. This is Self Care You, and we definitely leveled up with Coach John from Freedom Nutrition Coaching. (laughs) 